Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs, episode number 29. On today's episode, we've got Bob Lacoste. Bob Lacoste is from the DBK compound, and he's over there, part of the trio with Pip and Mike the Hammer, knocking out these stunning cars that they just keep turning out, and it's not the same old stuff, if you know what I mean. So if you guys are into it, also we get into Bob's history, and Bob, for most of you who don't know, grab your May 2006 Hot VW's magazine, and Bob's Squareback, we're going to be talking about for a little bit, will be in that full-blown feature with over... 400 NOS parts in that thing. So if you guys dig it, uh, check it out. Bob Lacoste. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. On today's podcast, I've got uh, one of the three guys down there at the compound that's helping put together all the stuff that's, uh, that Pip designs and, 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 and the rest of the guys, Mike and Bob Bill down there. So on today's podcast, we got Bob LaCosta. You might remember from May 2005, Hot VWs, he had a black squareback with a ton of NOS parts on it. So today on the podcast, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to see you, Bill. Hey, so uh, well, I've, I've seen you a f- quite a bit, you know, over the past few years. I've been coming down for the barbecues and all that stuff. You know, be, me being DBK Vegas out here on the island, then I come out there and kind of hang out with you guys once a weekend, you know, every year. And uh, usually when, when I get down there, you're super slammed, busy, knocking out all the final detail and a bunch of stuff, and you're just going like a madman. And so to be able to sit and chat with you, you don't get that opportunity very often, but we had a few minutes to chat at Prado. And you started giving me some of your history, and I thought, I need Bob on the podcast. So uh, I got you on the podcast now, and we got a lot of history to go to and a lot of your background that I don't think a lot of the people out there in the VW scene know where you've been and what you've been doing for the past so many years. So we're going to get to that in a minute. The first thing that we always do is, is, is I get into how you got into VWs. So what's your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? As a young child... Growing up in the valley, I grew up in the lowrider scene. It was Chevys and Impalas. And that was cool. That's all I knew back then. Uh, but around the corner, as a kid, I was that annoying kid that stat, uh, stood right in front of a garage door watching you know, a father and son doing a Volkswagen build. It was a charcoal gray 64 Bug. You know, and any of us car guys, you know, I was seven years old. I can smell that paint like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And on the side, there was, they were building a fiberglass kit car, which will tie into our story a little bit later. Yeah. But that was literally, I used to stand right in front of the garage and just watch them work on their car. And it was either, you know, like kid. Beat it or grab a broom, right. do something. And, you know, so my very first experience on anything was they threw some wheels at me and gave me a razor blade and scrape off the paint off the back of these wheels so we could put them on. Uh, from that, uh, there was my Uncle Randy had a 1966 Triumph TR4, the very first engine I ever took apart. Still, I was seven years old. Yeah. But I got to take the engine apart. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, For sure, yeah. Take, I mean, pull, pulling a motor apart at seven years old is a pretty tall tall order. Volkswagens were kind of like always there, but then I, you know, growing up and getting into, you know, teenage years, it was hot rods. You know, I bought every issue of Street Rod and Street Rider magazine. My bedroom walls, the wallpaper was, you know, insert, insert, all pages, Killed out of the magazines, car, 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 car. Right. Well, one summer I was in Van Nuys and saw this movie set. It looked like they were filming a movie, which lo and behold, it was Hollywood. Danza. Smitty Speech. What was the the movie? Hollywood Nights. Hollywood Nights, huh? Tony Danza. Oh, with Tony Danza. Iconic movie. Iconic movie. And there was, in the car hop, was a brown chop top oval window bug that had just been featured in a hot rod magazine in a Cal Look special. 
It had that brown bug. It had a black bug with silver and green flames. And it had a uh, like a 68 bug. I don't know, a late bug, Riviera's, with a bunch of graphic paint job on it. And what year is uh, this? Uh, we're talking 1979. Oh, wow. Probably about 78, 79. No, no later than 80. I mean, whenever Hollywood Nights movie came out, you know, those who know, know. Uh, but as they say, you know, when I bought that issue of the Hot Rod magazine that had the Volkswagens in it. Yeah. It was the last Hot Rod magazine I bought and the very first Hot VW magazine I bought. And the rest is history. Yeah. So what's, so now what was your first Volkswagen? Uh, early 63 notchback high side marker. And where'd you find that car? My brother actually found it. Really? You found it, you were in, found, found it in California, Simi Valley? Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks, huh? Yeah, the car came out of Thousand Oaks. It was sitting on the side of a house. My brother does landscaping and you know, Hey, uh, he called me up one morning. I was in high school. I was still a junior in high school. And he says, Hey, what's, What's a car that looks like Grandpa's car? It's not a station wagon, and the front looks just like the back. And I was like, sounds like a notchback to me. Yeah. Click, he hung up the phone. I went to school. <laughs> you know, yeah. He called me at night and just picking my brain about it. And I just wondered, you know, what, what has he got going on? You know, and lo and behold, you know, that was my first car. He'd call me up and say, you know, come on out and see me. Check out my new lawnmowers, you know, but inside the garage was this 1963 notchback. And on my Instagram page, I have a throwback Thursday of the very first car, and that's the one. So your first car was a 63 notchback. What year is this? Uh, 1982. And now, do you build this car, or do you just kind of assemble it, drive it? What, what do you do with the 63 notch? You want to talk about a crash course <laughs> and things not to do to your VW. It was a 63 notchback. It was completely original. The motor, for whatever reason, was actually sitting inside the car, taken down to a short block. I got the car. It had four locked-up brake drums. I had auto shop in high school. So on weekends, I would go out to Thousand Oaks to my brother's house and remove things from the car and work on them at auto shop in high school. Oh, really? Until we got it up and running. And I pieced the motor back together not knowing anything. Yeah. It had the original six volt battery in it that was bone dry. And when we got the motor up and running, we simply filled it up with bottled water. Nice. <laughs> wrapped the car to the back of my brother's truck and drove it in third gear through his neighborhood one night. To start it? Until dash lights came on and it fired off on its own. Oh, and you drug it by the front bumper? Yeah, rope. <laughs> yeah, I just rope. took a rope, put it on. Oh, that's what happened to all those bumpers. It didn't have brakes at that point. It had an e-brake, but no brakes. Well, e-brakes, good enough, good enough. So it's your first car, and like all of us with our first cars, we kind of trash the crap out of the first car because we're just figuring stuff out, and what doesn't matter, whatever we think is cool, we think it's cool, so. It was 150 bucks. Yeah, 150 bucks. Yeah, best $150 you ever spent, right, for a car? So what, Best first car anybody could ever ask for. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what ended up happening with that notchback? I drove it for about a year and a half. Uh, I traded it for a 67 sunroof bug. Had big motor in it, so I was into power. Uh, did that until I graduated high school. You know, and then, you know, mom and pops, you know, how are you working on these cars? You know, you need to get a new car. You've got to get a job. And, you know, I was working at the grocery store. <laughs> You're working at the grocery store. You're into VWs. You're kind of doing that stuff on the side. Now, how do you transition into getting, and, and then how much time is it from high school to when you get into uh, working working on VWs for a living? I've always done VWs on the side. Always, you know, always had a VW. I've had probably in my own time probably about 80. Well, about 80 Volkswagens, and huh? Mostly Corvettes. Mostly, Mostly you're, you're like a freak for squarebacks, huh? I'm a type three guy. I'm a type three guy. Yeah, no, that's that's legit, man. I mean, and the crazy yeah. part is the compound hasn't pushed out a bunch of type threes, right? You've only done what two? We've, you know, there's one that's been on deck for quite a while, and I would love to get it in the work. You know, make it happen. Yeah. You did English pips. Uh, Type three, right? You guys did that over there. 
I had no involvement in that car. Oh, you had no involvement in that car? So we know you're a type three guy and you're doing this. So you're, you're working on VWs on the side. Now, when you and I got to talking, you told me you had some history working at BFY. Is that your first job working full time doing VW stuff was working at BFY? As far as working for, you know, working for somebody, yes. Uh, I Me and a friend of mine, my buddy Ty Three Double, uh, you know, longtime friend. We we had a shop out in Riverside back yeah. when we were doing you know with a Japanese market you know so we were flipping you know we were turning burning. You guys were buying squarebacks uh, and 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 selling them to to Japan, huh? Four to six a month. I wonder if you guys uh, did you would you guys go to Pomona Swap Meet to buy them? And both sell them at Swap Meet. You know first first car we ever built uh, as far as taking to a Swap Meet for sale was a '67. Uh, Savannah Beige on Riviera's, and I burned midnight oil on it, got it ready by about 4 o'clock in the morning, we loaded it, headed out to Pomona, and Lenny was there with the uh, car house out of Japan, Yeah. The day. and uh, it didn't even get off the trailer, they didn't bicker on the price, uh, $9,500 for a square back, back in the 90s. We thought we had to be my brother, George, actually sold his square back to the Japanese back in the 90s. George had a black square back that he took first place. I want to say it was probably the 93 or 94 Jamboree. It was a black square back with a white roof, red interior, and had a full-length wood slat roof rack and sitting on fully polished two liters. And uh, he sold that car. I wonder, if you, I wonder if that car went through your hands to get to Japan. I know he sold it and it ended up in Japan. But I think he sold it for like sixty five hundred bucks and thought he just killed it. You know what I mean? Well, if you want, when I sold my black sixty four, I got thirty four thousand for it. Yeah, that's a, a little bit, a little bit different. That's a big stretch, you know. So now, tell me about working at BFY. So, how do you end up getting a job at BFY, and what's the scene like back then when you're working at BFY? I was, uh, I had actually, well, I had closed down. You know, we, me and my partner, you know, we separated ways, and I went off on my own. I ended up working for another guy. I'll leave his name out of it for now. You probably know who he is. And I worked with him for a while. Yeah. And while I was working on his cars, it was always going to be a flood buying the parts. And uh, back at the time, you know, when Darren owned the place, it was, you know, hey, you're always here. Why don't you stand on the other side of the counter and I'll pay you? And that's kind of how it started. So, and I said, well, I'll give you two days a week. I said, you know, I'll work for you, but I, not full time. And so, and I started there, and it was, you know, just counter sales, and then, but there was restoration projects sitting in limbo in the back. I'm like, you know, well, what's up with this black 65 convertible back there? You know, I gotta get put together. I'm like, well, that's where I should be. You know, <laughs> somebody else stands on the phone. You know, let me put it together. Yeah, putting the cars together is a. I mean, that's really. That's where most of the stuff hits stall points at most shops is getting the assembly of those cars put back together because the assembly takes a lot of time, especially with a painted vehicle, because you got to be careful, you got to know what you're doing, and you got to prep the parts properly so that things go back together correctly. You know what I mean? Which is probably a testament to how good you guys are doing stuff because you guys kick out cars out of the compound on a pretty consistent basis, but you guys are nose to the grindstone over there just kicking stuff out. I mean, on the reg, like no stops, man. You guys just keep going and keep going. I think, I don't know if there's any shop that's produced more high level cars than your guys' shop over the past, you know, seven, eight years. I mean, you guys have just been, how long have you been over there with Pip now? Uh, four years. Just over four years now. And I mean, you guys, they've been, they've been pushing out cars for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well established before I ever came along. You know, and, and, Part of that process is is the planning part, you know what I mean? Planning the parts, getting the parts situated, doing all that stuff so that when the car gets back from paint, all the parts pieces are laid out, everything's on deck, and then it really starts going mm -hmm. together relatively quick until you start hitting the the hard stuff, you know, the windows, the convertible tops. I mean, those probably, in your opinion, the, the convertible is probably the most difficult cars to put together. It's without question, without question, and especially an early convertible. I mean, you know, like, for me, a 65 and later convertible, they're two different beasts. They're really? much easier to work with, way more user-friendly. Parts are cheaper. Um, interchangeable, you know, especially you know, with the TAM 55 sitting right here. 
That one was uh, to get these doors dialed in was a small chore. Yeah. You know, but they're dialed in. No, I believe it. So when you're over there, when you're over there at BFY, you're starting to assemble cars. How many cars do you assemble over there while you're at BFY? Even at BFY? Yeah. Oh gosh, probably twenty. So you finished off twenty cars that kind of were hitting a stall project because they didn't have a guy that was just knocking them out and put them together. Fair amount of cars that I did at BFY that were featured in magazines. Yeah. You know, with my name, you know, and sometimes you know, you don't get the credit for what you do. What What's the most popular car that you put together over there? Mine. Oh, the, yeah, the square vac. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'd have to say in my you know. Uh, and by pure you know coincidence, uh, the Horizon Blue 57 convertible that I did, which was also used for our the last catalog that was made, so they used the car as I was building it for snapshots, for pictures, to caption with part numbers, and you know give you a visual sure. you know, with what you're doing. Uh, that's how that car was put uh, put together. It was a second owner car. It also went to uh, the Volkswagen dealership in Florida where my square back went. You know, that's kind of, you know, that's on a personal note, you know, that's like a good accomplishment. Uh, I have uh, a 59 Romech convertible that is in the Wolfsburg Museum. It's parked next to the red and white coupe. Oh, wow. That's a car That's a car you put together at BFY? At BFY through Randy Carlson. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Those... Um, that one, I, you know, that one goes down as probably that would be my greatest accomplishment. That if it's actually still in, you know, in the Wolfsburg Museum, how do you top that? Well, the, so the Romich that you built was it a what type of Romich was it? Was it a Lawrence, a '59? So it was a Lawrence. So the Lawrence, Lawrence. is the one that looks more. It looks more. It's more American style. It looks kind of like a baby '57 Chevy type of deal. Yeah, they have the bodies on those are aluminum, right? Aluminum body. Uh, on a wooden shell on a VW pan. And they're pretty easy to dent. Like, if you're working on the car, it's pretty easy to dent that car. You could look at it the wrong way and put a dent in it. Yeah, so, I mean, we're working on one of those. Very soft enough. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure you guys, got, there's got to be a special primer that goes on those bodies because to, to get that paint to stick to aluminum, you've got to put, like, a special kind of etching primer on there or what? Uh, epoxy primer, but, you know, I don't get into the body end of it. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, but you just got to dance around it after it's all done. Your, your, your primary focus has always been assembly and finishing off the cars, the detail stuff. Uh, all electrical. I do all of the electrical. Uh, if, it, if you like it, I did it. If you don't like it, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming the early cars are easier to wire than the later cars by far, right? Um, yeah, like when we did the, the most... For me, the most difficult car I've wired up as far as the Volkswagen would be the Drew Carey, the Price is Right 68. What kind of stuff did that car have that made it different? Uh, for, well, for a simple fact, it's a padded dash, it's 68. Uh, all the dash got recovered in black leather with a double stitch across the top of the seam. Yeah. But all faking switches all got mounted underneath the dash, which means rewiring. Uh, shaved off the turn signals off the fenders, put H4 headlights in it, but I blew the headlights apart, and I installed my own LED for parking light, three clear amber LEDs on the side of the headlights, so you get all light functions out of the headlight bulb. So there's nothing on the fenders, there's nothing on the bumper, it's just headlight. The rear taillights, uh, all LED, but, you know, Custom built by Mike, the hammer here. All done up with LED uh, lighting. Now you're working at BFY. Now you were at BFY through both phases of BFY now? Uh, 2001 to till it basically uh, diminished. Yeah, and so what year did BFY close? 07. So it closed in 07, and then originally the owner of BFY was uh, Rich Kimball? Mm-hmm. And then Rich Kimball sold it to the guy that you were working for over there. Uh, it went through a couple of, you know, went through a couple of hands. Oh, it did. It changed hands a few times, huh? Yeah. BFY, it, I guess, and Rich Kimball could tell the story better than anybody else, as of you know Jeff Walters, because uh, they're all found. You know, they're the ones that founded it. Scott Hendrickson, Jeff Walters, Rich Kimball, and uh, you know, forgive me. I know there. I think there was somebody else. I, and I won't, you know, I don't want to give the wrong name, but I yeah. think there was somebody else. 
but the in the Hot VW magazine back in the early '80s when they did the treasure hunting in Venezuela, right, and bought all the dealerships and brought back all these NOS parts. That's how Bugs for You was created. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, they used to go down there to Venezuela and Brazil and places like that and just get all these huge parts caches of like crazy NOS stuff that that wasn't around anymore so those are some of the coolest issues to look through just look at all the stuff that they had found but you know the funny part is in hindsight when when that was coming out in the magazines I really was just more into kind of cow look custom bugs so I really didn't care about all the rare like W deck lid convertibles stuff like that like eh, big deal you know because my scene was like cut it off if you don't need it shave the door handle and make it you know red flashy and cool so now that I've been in the scene a lot longer and I've pursued other vehicles that ha- they're a little more rare than like a 62 bug, you know, um, you really get an appreciation for these old NOS parts that are out there. And there's, there's, there was tons of stuff they were finding back in the early nineties. Well, they were no, you know, strictly for original German NOS, uh, you know, all, all stock vintage, nothing, you know, custom cowlick going on out there. I mean, now I can honestly say that, you know, because Mark Bruto, you know, Mark Bruto was, you know, between him and Scott Hendrickson, you know, those were the guys that were, you know, they were the gearheads in the back doing, you know, restoring the old cars back then. And, you know, Scott was extremely well known for Gia's. So you're at BFY, you're putting cars together, and then when do you start building? So, so when do you find your square back that you built that you were on this massive parts hunt? for for all these nos parts like when did you find where do you find your your square back the square back came from small car connection in an asperia i got it from big chris rest in peace brother yeah some big chris big chris is a good dude man he we you know we uh he's a good friend of mine and uh you know we talked a little bit before the podcast and i want to touch on this and and chris was it's funny chris chris if chris liked you um, that meant he trusted you, you know what I mean? And so if Chris trusted you, you know, he, he's a good guy to have, to, to, to be able to have him trust you. And like you said, you were able to get access. I mean, Chris was one of those guys back in the days in Venezuela and all that stuff, getting a lot of those OEM parts and a lot of NOS stuff. Chris went all around the world getting a bunch of that stuff. And even until, you know, a year or two before he passed away, Chris pulled his last haul out of Casper, Wyoming at a, a dealership up there. And, you know, he was telling me, he says, man, I've been doing this, you know, 30, 30 years pulling stuff out of dealerships. He said, I thought it was dead. He says, I can't believe the stuff I got out of that last haul. And it was like, you know, NOS oval stuff, NOS barn door stuff, NOS, all kinds of stuff that's just been up there in Casper, Wyoming forever. And uh, he was even surprised that it was still around even in this day and age. So you you find the square back in, at small car at a Hesperia and you're living where at this time? Are you living down, down the hill in Southern California? I'm. Born and raised Southern California. And so how do you find this car up at Small Car? Are you going up there just because they, you know he's got a ton of cool parts or what? Well, at the time I lived in Riverside, you know, the hour, hour, you know, hour and a half, worst case. If you know exactly where it's at, <laughs> they're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, you would go, so you would go to Small Car consistently just looking for stuff or what were you doing out there? Uh, parts. It started out with, you know, going in with parts and I, you know, you definitely hit the nail on the head with trust when it comes with Chris because he wasn't the person to like let anybody rummage through his, you know, his collection. Oh yeah. And I'll put some, I'll put some pictures. Yeah. I'll put some pictures up of Chris's yard. I went to Chris's yard. The first time I went to Chris's yard was 2004 or five. And, uh, I mean, I was just blown away at how much stuff he had in that yard. I mean, he had, Type 34 Gia's. He had all kinds of stuff in that yard, man. And I, uh, oh, it, it, it was just nuts. And it was like he knew where everything was. And it was like, it's just impossible to keep track of the place. But he knew. He, I mean, the guy knew where everything was. And I used to just sit. My favorite thing to do with Chris was just get him talking about the deals he would get. Because I would just love to hear the deals. Because this guy was just like, if you want to talk about a guy who really, he'd been working so hard in the scene that it would seem like he would just fall into deals everywhere. But people knew. Like, if you had stuff and you needed to move it, Chris was your guy to get it moved for him. I mean, he'd sell stuff to guys in South Africa. He'd sell stuff to guys all over the world. And it's crazy because he'd look at something that you and I would see as worthless and go, nope, that part right there in Peru, they buy the crap out of those. You know what I mean? Like the oddest things. But, you know, Chris was kind of that guy where he just knew 
everything uh, everything that was sellable on a Volkswagen. He, you know, we got to a point where he would, you know, actually call us and give us first shot if he had a nice car coming in, you know, give us first shot. And, you know, and normally, you know, we took it, you know. <laughs> yeah, because Chris, Chris, Chris had a good eye for, for getting stuff. So, so you're, so you're now, we're talking about your history. So you're working at BFY for a while. And as you're working at BFY, uh, they come to their ultimate demise. In what year is this? That's a whole. That's a whole episode. All by itself. Yeah, I mean, it, you, like before it shuts down. So you're working there pretty consistently, forty hours a week, and then you see the. I, I, I had eight, I worked there for eight years. Uh, and you know, when I was looking to find a way out, I had a, I had a job offer, and it was actually right when I was finishing off my square back for the 05 Classic. That I actually had a job offer from uh, American Hot Rod, you know. The hot oh, rod really? Over board. there at the Hot Rod Shop? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'd love to work on hot rods. I'm a car guy, you know, so I'm not worried about the camera. But shortly after that, you know, it, it didn't pan out. You know, it wasn't a wasn't a well sewn machine. You know what I mean? Um, I know a couple of the guys. That is, I mean, is that how? Because usually when you get a job at a place like that, like somebody knows that you're good at swinging a hammer somewhere, and they'll call you up and say, "Hey, man, come over here to this shop. We'll pay you a few bucks more, and we just need help." Well, at that time, it was Dan, you know, one of the guys that was on the show when they were on TV, and uh, he's a Super Beetle guy. He's into late Super Beetle convertibles, and he, you know, a Saturday be a fly shopper. And I just I commented to him on one Saturday I'd happen to be there. And it was after one of their shows, and I said, you know, oh, you know, that guy on the show, what a dummy, you know. Get your car built, you know, on TV and pay to have it done for you, and you're still gonna screw it up, you know. I'm like, man, I would love to have an opportunity like that. Well, a week later, you know, the opportunity was presented to me because he came back. He said, hey, I actually talked to Boyd, and he wants you to come down. You know, talk to him. Yeah, I was like, okay. You know, and I, you know, I did all that, did the interviews. I took my car. You know, I even took the square back there on one of their Saturday open houses when they uh, did the uh, unveiling of the Max Wedge Hemi. Yeah, I was actually, I was there through that. That's when I was trying to get on board with them. You know, but it, it, like I said, it didn't happen. Didn't pan out. You know, and what? So where did you end up after that? Well, then. <laughs> That's after, and I gave Darren a 30, I gave a 30-day notice to be a white. Not even two weeks, I gave him 30 days. You know, you know, get some, you know, if you want to get somebody in so I can, you know, get somebody lined up so you can, you know, keep the, you know, the restoration. And the you were just ready to get out of there. Well, I was ready to move forward. What made you want to leave? The opportunity. At Boyd's place? To work on street rods. It wasn't about TV, it was about, the, you know, Work on high-end sure. cars. I wanted to work on better cars than what I was working on. I felt that I was ready to step up for the challenge. So where did where did you end up after you left uh, BFY? I ended up, you know, because that fell through, and then I ended up. I started up my own shop. What was the name of the shop? I did Lacoste Automotive for a couple and, of years. And what were you doing there? Restorations. Oh, pure, you know, Volkswagen, same thing. And how how did you like running your own business? That's why I don't do it anymore. It's a lot more work than a. I mean, sometimes when you're there. With your head under the hood of the car, you're thinking like, "Man, this this is easy. Anybody could do this." But then you realize it's easier sometimes to be under the hood of the car than to run the business. Well, I'm you know I'm more uh, I can hold wire crimpers and strippers you know and work with them better than I can on a telephone and customers. So you know, to say straight up, you know, business guy, nah, you know, put the wrenches back in my hand, and that's that's where I shine. So you tried Lacoste Automotive for a little bit. That doesn't pan out. What do you do after that? Uh, that's how I ended up here. So then you end up, how do you cross paths with Pip? I've known Pip. Uh, well, actually, I, I really physically had never met him on a you know just a regular good old-fashioned guy-to-guy conversation until I started working here. I would see him at the shows. We, you know, He knew who I was. I knew who he was. You know. And back when I was doing my own thing, it was, you know, I would have felt that, you know, and it might be a bold statement, but, you know, Pip was my competition. You know, I, I've got to build a car like he's building, you know. But, and so what what cars, what cars when you were on your own, did you build any cars that we know of that would have been in magazines and stuff? Uh, 
you know, like I said, you know, years and months of magazines, I can't recall. Sure, sure, not exactly, but I mean. The six, you know, the 62 bug that was, you know, air ride and leather, you know, inside out, chrome. Oh, you built, you built, so you built custom stuff too. You didn't just stick to just doing. I'm all, I'm all across the board. I can, I can go both ways, both ways. And so now at this time, when you start your own business, um, do you sell the square back before then, or do you still have the square back at the time you start your own business? I sold the square back to start my own business. That's what I was looking for. Cause I'm thinking, that's, how does he get, that's what's fun to do. yeah, that's yeah. what made it. <laughs> yeah. So you sell the square back to start a business and then you find out, you think, well, I got a good chunk of change that should be able to get me going for a little bit. And then when you're working your own business, are you working for yourself or you work, you got people? I mean, is it just you working or do you got employees? At that time, one man show. Answer the phone, work on the cars. I did everything, everything. It was only me. And that was in Riverside? Uh, that was in Orange. And so you you kind of get to a point where you want to start, you're, you're ready to just get back to turning wrenches and not be the only, the the alpha and the omega at the organization. Yeah, let somebody, you know, let somebody work with, you know, with clientele and deal with the money and just let me turn the wrench. Now, you end up over at uh, the compound over there with Pip and those guys. What's the first project you work on? Um, ironically, Milo's Atlantic Green 53, which is, uh, he's the guy that owns the convertible. This thing. Yeah. And that's, that, uh, the Atlantic Green convertible, the Atlantic Green 53 is a super nice car. And then now you guys are doing this, the, the convertible there. So the first thing you work on is that. The next car, and you know, interestingly enough, you know, as much as the, as much as Pip's cars, they all kind of have a theme that run through them. They're all uniquely different in their own respect. Um, I think one of the big things that a lot of people like about the stuff they see coming out of the compound, at least I can speak for myself. Some of the stuff that I really like seeing is like the real tight seat upholstery. Like the seats don't look overstuffed, bulky, and big. They're nice. They're tight. They're they're they, they look vintage without being completely out of whack you know what i mean like i had some seats done here in town for my 55 and they look like the pillsbury dough man i mean they're so overstuffed and so fluffy and it's like you know that the german square weave the the minor accents to the car instead of going over the top because you see people think like hey if i got one accessory i should have a hundred and that will be even cooler but it's like you can completely overdo it with accessories and add-ons and doodads and all that stuff and it seems like all the stuff that comes out of the compound is like less is more right that's the statement we go completely opposite of that. We go completely opposite of it. And I think that if, you know, and if you look at our cars, you know, because we, you know, the idea is to simplify them, you know, build it like the factory could have built it, you know, step it up a couple notches. So you'll spend more time looking for the small stuff that we do on these cars because it's hidden, you know, and you got to walk around them three, four times and keep you know, and you'll you'll see something else. You'll see something else. This will grab you. You know, spotlights up in the front of a car does nothing for us. You know, if it comes, you know, I'll take them off the car. <laughs> what was the first time that Pip's telling you you're going to do something like some level of detail where you're like, man, are you serious? Like, no one's even going to see that. You know what I mean? Like, what's the first thing that you see when you're first starting there that you're thinking like, man, this guy's trying to get us to another level? We well, we think the same. I'm just as guilty. Yeah. I'm. Oh, absolutely. So you get obs- obsessed absolutely. over detail? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, quote, unquote, I'll say I picked the fly shit out of the shit out of the fly's ass. Yeah, so you get super detailed on it. You know, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you see it or not. You know, but if somebody wants to challenge it, I'll gladly, you know, I'll remove a panel and show you. You know, no, no leaf goes unturned. I remember seeing some of the radios you guys were doing. You guys were getting like serious detail inside the tubing and all that stuff inside the radios. Oh, I've got a couple steering wheels coming up here that. Yeah, that are mega detailed. This is a this is a banjo, a Petri wheel. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. see that. Okay, so this is the back side of the hub, and all these brass are rings contacts. are all contacts, because this one is going to have dual. Horn rings. Oh wow! One is for the actual horn, and the other one is the turn signal switch. So your horn ring will do your turn signals, and then on the front cover with you know all your contacts on the horn button area, we'll also have your high beam indicator, 
and your generator and your oil pressure light. Yeah, that's crazy. And those were usually out of, uh, those were usually in Porsches where you'd find those, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know they make some, I mean, the, some of the Petri horn rings are just out of control, some of those steering wheels. I mean, but it's it's crazy how you look at the technology of those vintage cars, and there were so many things that, like with the Blaupunk picnic radios, you know, like a pull-out radio. They'd have something like that that was built back in the 50s. You could pull a radio right out of a car and then take it on a picnic, kick it on, it had battery backup in it, and you just listen to the radio sitting at a picnic, you know? So it was like the first, the yeah. first pull-out radios. And in six volt. So yeah, there's 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 a lot of crazy stuff in it, and with as many cars that have come out of the compound just over the last few years, it doesn't it never ceases to amaze me the little tiny different tricks that Pip does just to kind of make those cars the the ideas he comes up with that you guys put together that are just wild that you see that that you look at it anybody could have thought of it but nobody else did you know what I mean and he. And he comes up with these ideas to do some stuff, and, and they just really come off looking really, really good, you know. So it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be uh, – is, is that exciting for you, working there, doing that? Like knowing that you get got a project coming in, and what, what you guys are going to – like you, don't, you have no idea what it's looks like when it leaves the door. Oh, well, I love – you know, I throw my two cents into everything. Yeah. What's one of the – Yeah, I like, to, I like to get my part into it, too. What's you your know? favorite thing to do? Yeah, not to take away from anybody else because, like I said, we all have – our little, you know, gig that we do here, yeah. and all our quirks, you know, we all suffer ADD, so imagine that times three. <laughs> and so what uh, What are some of your favorite mods that you guys have done over there that you guys have kind of perfected? Um, you know, it's constantly trying to improve, you know, for me personally, it's trying to constantly improve wiring, you know. I mean, I, I've still got thoughts and ideas. There's more things that I can do. You know, we're changing up the way we're doing the alternators with wiring again, which is going to make it virtually impossible to detect any wires. Uh, but it's time to take that up to the front of the car and start, you know, I need to step it up in the front because uh, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I can tidy up the wires in a trunk, but I'm at the point where I don't want to see them. So I've got some thoughts. I've got some ideas of what I want to do for the next custom build that, you know, if it pans out, you will really wonder how the hell is this thing run. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you know, putting that time and effort into some of those details are really what make it fun when a new car comes out. Cause it's like, okay, they're all 53 ovals. Great. But what makes this one stand apart from the other one or what makes this one different or it's a split window, but it's like those small nuances of little detail things make the biggest difference. And maybe sometimes the best thing is when people don't even catch that you did something to a car. You know, that looks so normal, even though you modded something. You know, I mean, in respect to the stuff that you guys do there, what is the most time-consuming thing that you do that almost goes unnoticed? Polishing. Yeah. I hand polish every nut and bolt, one by one. Really? One by one. Every, every one, huh? One by one, individually. Yeah, that's got to take some time. When you're doing, you know, well, when you're doing 750 pieces of hardware, it, yeah, adds up real fast. For some of our people listening out there, like a guy who's decided to take on his project himself, what would you give a guy, if you got to give a guy some tips as to how to put their car back together, like what would be some of the tips you'd give a guy working in his garage to make his project pull, pull apart and go back together in an efficient manner. I mean, do you ha- you guys have a system that you work with over there? Is there some process you go through to, to where you um, you start on this end and work to that way? Or, or what can you speak to in respect to that, like the processes that make it more productive every day getting the car done? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, if we're talking like a ground-up build. Yeah. Plain and simple. First two things I do, it's just simple, standard procedure. I chase every thread in the body and the chassis and every part that's painted, powder-coated, plated before I will install anything. So, so you chase all, all the threads. Every, Retap everything. Everything. You know, and if you want to know what the thread sizes are, I can tell you. Uh, and then second on the list is wiring. I, you know, I wire up the bodies well before we start doing any assembly on them. I do all the wiring. Oh, really? So you pull all the wiring through this way, at least if you're going to be running things underneath the dashboard and you've got wiring that's got to go through, you're taking that into consideration when you're assembling those parts and pieces. Not so 
you run that harness through and you're like, oh crap, how's this thing going to come through here? Uh, well, on top of, you know, when we've got a gloss black pan, you know, I'm not going to crawl inside the pan and, you know, be working on the dash, you know, I do it while the bike right. is still on the rack. So I can just oh, absolutely. put it on the ground. There's no fenders, there's no hood, nothing. Everything's exposed. And I do all the yeah. and then we start hanging fenders. And, you know, then I go in, do the dash, and then I start doing all the, you know, the switches and the gauge restoration. But I do all that here, too. I mean, all that's done. So, so do you guys restore the gauges there in-house? I do. I do all of that. And so, like, blowing, I mean, obviously most of these Speedos and stuff that you get, they don't work when you get them. Semaphores, none of it. None of it. None of it all works. Above. All the above. Wow. So you really, like, I mean... To rebuild a speedo, are you are you available to get the gears and all that stuff? To re, I mean, do you get that deep into it where you pull apart the gearing on it and and, and change I, the broken gears? I change gears. The only thing I cannot do is magnetize the speedometer to calibrate it. So the only thing I'm not equipped to do. So is so to speak to that, the speedometer you can't change the gear ratio in it to make it no, match the tire no. size you're putting on. Well, they're gear-driven, but your needle is run off of a magnet, so it runs off resistance. So. Oh, really? Yeah, so if you're dealing with a speedometer, and you, uh -huh. you know, if somebody's going to calibrate your speedometer, they're not changing mm -hmm. anything. What they're going to do is they're going to send a signal through the cable and add or take away uh, the, the magnetic force. Magnetic force that's going to allow the needle to move fast or slow. I mean, that's how you calibrate one. So oh really? Yeah, yeah. So you're not changing gears. There's nothing to change. Oh, that's wild. So it's just a, it's just a straight mechanical thing that just goes plugs right in. There's very few gearing. Yeah, it's magnetic driven. I think I have a piece over on the side. I could even explain it. You know, and a lot of these things, these are the kind of things a lot of people ask me about. You know, like you know, I'll post a video of this. You know, and you know, and, and I like to do it, but I don't also like to give everything away. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, you can't give all your secrets away now. Uh, when you get the speedos, are are the are the, um, the 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 speedo faces are they pretty uh, easily restored or like do you have to get them repainted or I mean are they they they're pretty well done at the factory and you can clean them pretty good or what's the deal on speedos? Uh, I've gone you know so many different ways with that you know decal stickers uh, or you know how many speedometers does it take to put one back together you know Rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, not a, not everything's available new, not yet. You know, you still got to work with what you've got. You know, or you get creative. You know, but I definitely get creative. You know, like on the tan convertible, that one's all color matched. You know, so the bezel, you know, inside, it's all color matched to the body. You know, new needle on it, it's reset to zero. It has been calibrated, so it's good to go. Oh wow, and so. Um... In respect to some of the other stuff you guys are doing, I mean, I know that you guys use old speed for most of your suspension stuff, your suspension parts, your brakes, and all that kind of stuff. Always. Um, Always. Yeah, you guys, I mean, Russell's, it, it's funny, I'm trying, I want, I'm want to get Russell on a podcast so we can just talk about what he does because I think he's one of those guys that. Uh, oh, you got to pick his brain too. Yeah, he's not, he flies under the radar, you know, he posts some stuff here and there, but he does, he, I mean, that when it comes to knowing about stuff, brake setups and carb setups and all that kind of stuff i mean mm -hmm. russell's got a ton of knowledge man and, and one of these days i'm going to corner him and get him on the podcast but you know you guys are doing all the cars you do there you guys do with the willwood brakes and the lengthened or shortened arms or whatever he's doing and then the the custom beams that he builds yeah and we you know and we take his product and then you know and we still you know put our touch blow on. it apart and and detail it even more. But but we use we only use Russell's brake kits. We don't use anybody else's. So now, so I want to talk for a minute about your uh, about your square back. So your square back that you built that was in Hot VWs. Sometimes people look at it and it, and it may go unnoticed unless you sit and read the article because it, for all intents and purposes, was a black square back. There was red interior on that. No, that was all all original. You know. All stock style original interior. What color was interior? Uh, off white with gray mesh. Off white with gray mesh interior. On that car, how complete was that car when you bought it? I got it from Small Car Connection. <laughs> I mean, it was it was just it was just a shell or what? It was a junkyard. <laughs> I bought it because okay, so this goes back into my notchback, my first car. My first sure. notchback was a '63, and it was original 
off-white, pearl 87. Yeah. L87 pearl-white. And it was painted orange on the outside. When I walked out into the back of small car, here's the 64 square back that was original L87, painted orange. Um, and me being a type 3 guy, five lug. I got a you know, five lug and push button dash. I like the early stuff. Okay. There's that car sitting there. It's in orange. The you know, hood's hanging up. Rear hatch is hanging up. And it was a five lug car. And I was like, I got to have it. What's the story on that? It's like, oh, it's for sale. You know, 900 bucks. I was like, and I was going to give the 900 bucks. But after we were done doing our rendezvous and being out in the back and scavenging for parts and what have you, we go back to his office. Then he pulls out the creme de la creme which I ended up being second owner of the car. It was an original owner car that the guy bought straight from the factory in Germany in 1964 and drove it around for six months and shipped the car back to the States. All the import paperwork, the sales receipt from the car, all in the glove box. But he had it in his office. But he gave it to me. So on that car, that guy did a European delivery. So back in the 60s, you could buy a car from Volkswagen and you would have it, you would do a, UP, a European delivery, which means you'd fly to Europe, you'd pick the car up, you'd go cruise around Europe, check a bunch of stuff out, and then you'd fly back home and they'd ship the car to you. Uh, well, well mo- most common is like military would buy cars and drive them around. Uh, this guy was from a missionary, but he was still there. He just bought the car from the factory uh, February 3rd, 1964, drove it around Germany until August 16, 1964, and then had it sent to the States. And then it got picked up, to the best that we know, is that the guy probably had just passed away because the car got picked up, you know, for, you know, unpaid tickets. And that's, that's how Chris ended up with the car. Bought it at an auction. He got it from an auction, like a police auction, impound auction or something? Well, yeah, well impound, impound. You know, because I, I had to do a lien on the car, you know, to get it into my name. But, and it was, you know, and it was all painless. But just the fact that, you know, as rough as the car was, because I used five donor cars to put the car together. Once How straight was the body? It was it was a seven-year project. I mean, that thing was a, a massive labor of love, right? I mean, that thing just took nothing but tons and tons of time to build that car, right? Uh, you know, well, it was all about the parts chase. The whole time, you know, chased one part. It had, a, d- d- was it a fairly complete car when you got it, but you just wanted new replacement NOS stuff? Or was there a ton of stuff missing? You thought, instead of buying Repro, I'm buying NOS, original, everything. Just, yeah. I mean, it was a complete car. It was missing some, you know. I mean, like a typical early Type 3 dash. It was there, you know, early one with ears and, you know, and your plastic garnish. Sure. And the soft door panels. That stuff was there, but, you know, typical warped stained, beat the crap, self-tapping screws run through the moldings, the hold them on the doors, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, that car had uh, towel bars on the bumpers, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, now, what's the story on towel bars? You're my type 3 guy, man. We're Now, I'm going to start peppering you with some type 3 questions. I, what's yeah. the story? Those were dealer accessories, or they were, they were, the, what's the story? Dealer accessories. Oh, as far as. You know, accessories that I put on the car would have been the guards and the overrider. So that was, you know, it's either dealer installed or owner installed. You know, it, you wouldn't get it out. You wouldn't get it off the, uh, you know, off the production line like that. Right. So all, all towel bar, all towel bars were never factory installed. Never factory installed. Dealer or owner. Installed. It was a U.S. option. It was a U.S. option, or it was Europe option too. It's dealer option. Dealer option. Doesn't matter whether it's U.S you know, or, or, you know, out of the country, just dealer, just a dealer. Now they're repopping those. Um, I'm looking at the car right now and it looks like the car sold for 24 grand back in November of 2018, uh, on Barrett Jackson's website. Now you had an MP, uh, an MP easy go shifter in there. Or is that GTV shifter? When I built the car, I put an eliminator shifter in it. Yeah. And I, because I know that, you know, because I know about the car, there's actual, you know, we can close the story on this car because the unfortunate thing is that car doesn't exist anymore. So this car is not around anymore? Nope. 
So I'm looking at, so for, for our listeners that, so we're going to get to that in just a second. So for our listeners, so I, I just, I just searched Bob Lacoste's uh, square back is what I searched. And I saw a thread on the Samba. When I saw the thread on the Samba, I clicked on it. And then there was a link to Barrett Jackson. I'm looking at all the pictures, this beautiful black square back that this thing is unbelievably detailed, top, bottom, inside and out. Now you're telling me, I'm looking at the pictures, right? Mm-hmm. You're telling me the seats came this way, two-toned like this? Yes. The split is down on the on the lower third of the seat like that, huh? Supposed to be is that when did, height of the armrest. When when did they change that? Because that's not nor, that's an early car thing. Well, now the interior combo would depend on where the car was going, but for a general reference, up to sixty five would have had a two would have had a two tone seat on it. Okay. But still, still, but it depends on where where the destination of the car was because you see. Some of the Type 3s that have, like, the stripe kind of seat material yeah. on it, like an early, like yeah. early summer 4 bug, was also uh-huh. available on Type 3s, and it was solid. It wouldn't have been cut off to, you know, where the backrest would so, come up. So school me on some Type 3s here real quick. So on Type 3s, are you saying, like, did you have more selectability of more finite options on a Type 3 because it was, like, their new upcoming model? Like, they were this was their step up from the bug. So did the dealerships offer more accessories or more customizability on these cars on the type 3s and the type 1s you're a type 3 guy yeah bottom line is and because i was spoiled it was my very first car and yeah anyone will agree either type 3s or bay windows have the best suspension volkswagen ever created they're the best oh yeah cars they're the best riding car stock or lowered and so what, what kind of lengths did you have to go through to find all the NOS parts for this car? Well, seven years. I mean, from... What, what, was the hardest, what was the hardest part to find? The seat recliners. So the Huel, those are Huel seat recliners on there? NOS. And those are t- Type 3 specific, NOS. Type 3 only, left and right. Now, do those, will those seat recliners work on the Type 34 Gia? I don't think they'll work on the Type 34 Gia, will they? Nope. So type 34 gear is completely different. So the, those seat recliners, they're even so different. you probably, now you had the, you, it looks like you had the accelerator pedal cover. Uh, it's Cami gas pedal. So the, 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 the Cami gas pedals the for what? With the footrest. It was all about the footrest. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm checking it out, man. It was, and you had the Chrome, you had the uh, Chrome turn signal cover. And it's a real it one, look, not a repop because they didn't make them. When I got that, but it was like I'd never seen it. I was at uh, at Phoenix at a uh, drag races and car show, uh, meeting with somebody out there doing a car swap, and you know did the swap meet section. Like, oh, this is cool. You know, how much? Two dollars. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's a one-time use type deal. Once you bend the tabs on that, it's kind of done, right? You're not gonna bend them multiple times. Yeah. Well, I had it re-chrome, so I actually, you know. It, I had the tabs repaired, and then I had it repoed. Yeah. But, uh, and then the five spokes on it. The whole ignition column, I uh-huh. used the whole thing individually, but it's all with all NOS parts. Yeah, I bought, I bought one for my Type 34 Gia, an NOS Type 3 steering column, only to send it to Buddy to have him blow it completely apart, rip everything out of it, and paint it. So... <laughs> I don't know why I bought an NOS one, but it was the, it was there. I think I was just with that car was there. So on this car, um, the five spokes, original MP five spokes, two piece. Aftermarket. So those were aftermarket type. Th- yeah. Aftermarket the five spokes. MP five spokes, but they were completely, completely polished and chrome through the backside. Uh, yeah. Uh, I personally was involved in even you know. Dealing with all the chrome on the car, yeah. yeah. The rims actually, you know, all in all, have twelve and a half hours of copper before they went in. So if you'll go in for an hour in copper, pull it out, cut it down, back into copper, cut it down, back into copper, twelve times. You had a buddy at the chrome shop, or what? Sure did. <laughs> sure did. Now mud flaps and flat lenses. So flat lenses are Europe only, this car yeah. being built, a, a, Euro, a European delivery, this car would have came with flat lenses, yeah. right? Yeah. But what, you have all the American ones on there with the, red, with the red lenses. 
but it's bigger style light for you know brighter illumination. Uh, yeah. You know, U.S. spec square back is a 1500. You know, an import is a variant. You know, and variants have side markers. You know, uh, 1500 does not. And then tell me about the mud flaps. Mud flaps that's got VW mud flaps on there. Mm-hmm. They have. What's the difference between the VW mud flaps and the ones with the sergeant badges, sergeant badge marks on them? Just option. But you know, I have found it in my travels. Getting them with the VW logos is harder than finding the sergeant stripes. Really? Well, there was. A, I know there was a '62 square back when I. So when I was on my infamous trip to to find, when I had stumbled across the Bull Run bus, that trip that I took from Vegas to Reno, I had found that someone drug back to Vegas a '62 square back, um, wide five push button dash, and it sat out there in the field with flat lenses, with the sergeant badge, mud flaps, and it was a it was a white square back. And I'm not quite sure what happened to that car. I know it had some rust on I mean, had some rust for us guys from the West Coast because East Coast guys would have said no rust, but for me it was seemed pretty rusty. But so now this car was your labor of love for seven years. After this car sold, what happened to this car? Uh it, it went just a real quick short step. It went to Canyon Country here in SoCal. Uh, and the owner decided, you know, to let it go, so it went back up for sale. Then it was bought by Casey Gunther, Gunther VW in Coconut Creek, Florida, which is where the uh, the '57 Horizon Blue convertible is still there. You know, so and the squareback sat there the whole entire time up until it went up for sale. Uh, this past November and went through the auction but the sad story is is you know because yeah it went through no reserve it was given away and Russell, what did it sell for Russell Ritchie ended up you know caught wind of it buying it buying the car but at that point when it got put onto a car carrier for transport, uh, mm-hmm. The car came off the back of the trailer. In, came in off the back, the back of the trailer. So it was on an open trailer. In, yeah, in in transport, it came off the trailer and hit the ground oh. and basically destroyed the car. So it hit the ground rear bumper first. All bumpers, straight through the fenders, bumper bracket. Oh. The roof got buckled. The roof got buckled. Wow, that's insane! Yeah. And so it's a glorified parts car now. Got a lot of good shit on it, but a lot of shit. When did up. the bumpers, the bump, the whole bumper assembly, bumper brackets down to the carriage bolts, all of it was in the wow. wow, and so that car. Uh, how did you catch wind of all this happening to that car? Randy Carlson. So Randy told you what happened to the car, and then it broke you. That obviously, well, that's got to be pretty. He hit me up out of nowhere, like you know, hey, what uh, magazines was your car featured in? So I already knew something was going on, so I called him, like you know, why are you so curious? Right. You know, like I haven't had that car in over ten years. <laughs> and then no, that's insane. That's when I heard about all of it, and then he, you know, I saw pictures of the car. He forwarded everything. Oh, so you've seen pictures of this car. So you'll oh, get yeah. me some of those pictures of that car yeah. destroyed. They actually, they wanted so, to send the car here to the compound for us to give an estimate for the damage. Really? Yeah, and I made it real quick and simple. I said, what do you pay for the car? And they said, 38000 I said, there's 38000 in damage. Yeah. You can fix the car. It's, it's toast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that, I mean when, you, when you buckle the roof, I mean, that's a whole other ball game, you know? Wow. So you'll send me those pictures so our listeners can go on our blog that we'll, that we'll send a blog out when this podcast comes out and they'll be able to look at the pictures of this car. So that's a rough story, Bob. I mean, you have your car, you put all the time, effort, and energy into it, building that car. And then the, the, the end of the story is, you know, the final time that that car gets sold, it just falls off a trailer and gets completely totaled. So how, how'd that make you feel hearing about that car getting completely damaged? It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It really was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, when you send a kid off to school or off to college, you know, they're gone and they're going to do their own thing, you know, but that's, they're your child, so it's just a car, but 
us car guys get it. And, you know, those you understand, understand. Absolutely. So, so what's next for you, Bob? Do you have any cars on the burner that you got coming up? Uh, uh, 56 Ragtop. So you got a 56 Ragtop for yourself, and you're planning on going no holds barred on that dude, mega detailed? I want to go racing, yeah. I want to. I want to go down the track. Personal car is gonna. That's gonna be next for me. Is I, I want to do a race. Well, fantastic, man. So, Bob, along the way, where you're at, and and all the stuff. Uh, I know we talked about some people that have kind of been there for you throughout the VW scene. Who are those people that have been there that you want to give a shout out to on the podcast? Uh, well, first and foremost, the compound. You know, Pip. You know, Pip the Hammer here. You know, the three of us. You know. You know, we we do what we do and try to make our shit happen. I yeah, mean, it's a good crew. I, I to, it's a good crew it. to be a part of. First and foremost, I mean, you know, that's you know that's why I'm here. Uh, you know, so definitely a shout out to those guys uh, and all the DBK members. Uh, but in general, I'm you know, uh, personal shout outs. I mean, Gary Berg, you know, personal friend of mine. He's been there for me. Uh, and I don't want to insult anybody if I don't mention names because I could go, like I said, I could go on and on and on. But, uh, you know, Gary, you know, and, and Ron Lewis Racing, Ron Fleming, you know, Rich Kimball, Dave Griner, Performance, Eddie, uh, Eddie and Dave's Garage, uh, again, super, you know, close friend. Uh, a shout out to Hot VW Magazine, both shins. Thank you for saving the magazine. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you want you you had something about a double cab you wanted to talk about. Uh, my buddy Frank, you know, I had yeah, forty uh, forty two year friendship, uh, my longest, you know, closest friend that I've ever had, uh, passed away this past January, or actually February second of this year, and oh. so we you know we've had a crew cab in the mix, going on for quite some time. You know, we're talking. No joke, 20 years. Yeah. But the ball's in my court now because, you know, he's left us. And so, you know, I'm going to follow that through for him and, and complete it. And, you know, because it was supposed to, you know, I think we talked about that uh, earlier about when I did my square back and debuted it. You know, it was supposed to be the crew cab and my square back, you know, lined up, two black cars dressed in chrome. I did mine. This one didn't get done, but it will get done. Well, cool. So we'll look forward to you putting that product out. Frank Martin, the king of Chrome. All right, cool, man. Well, that, and Frank was your buddy that passed away. Yeah, rest in peace, my brother. You know, he finished off at Artistic Silver Plating in Signal Hill. Uh, you know, I used to work with him. I used to work in Chrome Plating at Once Upon a Time. But he's done it for, you know, that's what he did that's what he did and he was the best at it all our car all, all the chrome plating on our cars was done by frank well rest in peace frank man and uh you know bob i appreciate you coming on the podcast with us for such a while and i'm sure the next time you got something coming out of the shoot we'll be there to talk to you and kind of get you on here and get your info on it I appreciate uh, appreciate everything you do. Appreciate all the hard work that you do. It really shows in everything that you do. And uh, I encourage everybody that when the cars are out there debuted, track down Bob. He's out there, and he can give you a lot of the backstory on some of the cars and a lot of the extra. Maybe point out some of that extra detail that people don't see. Right. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you at the next show. Bill, thank you, brother. Well, guys, I hope you like that podcast. Bob's a cool cat. Next time you see the DBK setup, look for Bob, talk to him, give him a shout out, and uh, tell him you heard him on the podcast. So uh, lots more good stuff to come. As far as now, like we do at the end of every podcast, guys, we give some shout outs to those people that gave us five-star reviews. So giving us five-star reviews first was making VW. Making VW give us a five-star review. Uh, a lot of good comments. Uh, let's see what he said. Making VW just give me a couple sentences. Uh, keep him up. Loves hearing the history and what's going on in the shows that he can't make it to while he's working. Another guy, Capino Fuller, says, Bill T, you're the man. There's nothing like this out there for VW enthusiasts, and that's why I started it. Plus, he says some other nice things. Tells a little bit about his history. So go down to the bottom of the podcast and listen to these and read these guys' uh, posts that they put there. Another one, Cool Birth 714 says, Inspiring, motivated, motivating, and informative. So, 
He's uh, been trying to listen to podcasts for a while, listen to people talk about many different topics. However, he's never motivated to listen again until Let's Talk Dubs hit the scene, man. We appreciate you, bro. Superfly Silver Fox says he's been building, buying, and selling, and hanging out with VW Buds since 1981. It's about time for a podcast that's just about VWs and the great crusty people that come with them. So shout out to Superfly Silver Fox. And last but not least, Stephen Hartlauer. Stephen Hartlauer says, thanks for thanks for talking dubs with the legends and the great minds of VW industry. So, uh, man, I appreciate all you guys that are supporting the podcast. I love what I'm doing. I love that you guys are enjoying it. So next week, I got another special guest. We got them stacked up. I got a podcast lined up. And uh, don't forget, go to our website, visit the store, support the podcast, buy some merch, and uh, support the podcast. So until next time, later. station wagon.